listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to our podcast live with the ABA section of antitrust law. This is Sarah Bartles. Joining me now is Russ Stamtoft at the USFTC, Caldwell Harrop at the USDOJ, Han Lee Toh of the Singapore Competition and Consumer Commission of Singapore, Chalufia Samba, the Executive Director of the Zambia Competition Consumer Protection Commission, and Marcos Palma of the Competition Law Institute. Well, our topic for today is to talk about developing a competition agency. And we've got a diverse group of people who have been involved in building a competition law and agency. Chifulia and Han Lee, you've been there from the very beginnings of, uh, of your agencies. And uh, Marcos, you've been trying to get help get a, a competition law and agency off the grounds in Guatemala. So all of you have a very interesting perspective on what it takes. So I'd like to start with each of you and ask, what was the impetus for having a competition law in your country? Let, let me start with Jalufia. The impetus was really uh, a change in the way the Zambian economy was being run. Previously, the Zambian economy was a command economy. So basically, you had the state running most of the businesses. And um, with liberalization and privatization of most of the state-owned companies, what you now needed was to have some kind of regulation that would uh, uh, ensure that the companies do not engage in anti-competitive business practices. And so that is really why Zambia took that route. And how about in Singapore? Uh, I think pretty similar to what Chalufia said, but we weren't really a command economy, but the government was involved in quite a lot of the marketplace, for example, banking, etc. So when there was a need to liberalize, it ended up with government-linked companies. And I think the concern then was, you know, a possible monopolization. So that led to the creation of a competition law. And you have a different, very different country in Guatemala. What is the impetus in Guatemala? Yeah, notwithstanding Guatemala as well, the rest of Latin America uh, entered into the uh, liberalization process in the 90s. There was no impetus at all to adopt a competition law nor to appoint a competition authority until there was a commitment made by Central America in the free trade agreement with the European Union. That commitment provides that uh, Guatemala, which is the only country in Central America that doesn't have a law, should have a law uh, before 2016. So there was an impetus between 2013 and 2016 to make a bill and to submit it for discussion to the Congress. We're still on, on that. And, and what was the uh, gestation period or the, the period, the number of years it took to get enough of a political consensus to actually pass a law? And, and what did you do to kind of create that uh, culture of competition where the, the legislature and the business community was ready to move forward with, with passing a law? Gestation period for Zambia, I would say from 1991, that's a time when um, we had a new government which uh, introduced the free market economy. And um, it took about three years, uh, 1994, that was when the first competition, uh, fact it was called Competition and Fair Trading Act, was passed. But this was not necessarily an easy, it sounds quite short, but it, does, it wasn't necessarily an easy thing to do. It had to be one of those uh, World Bank kind of conditionalities. Uh, that is what sort of helped it to, to move. So when you look at the first uh, act that was passed, uh, 
it was just like maybe if I if I can recall maybe twenty closes of, of of an act. So it was very superficial. Really, did not carry out or have provisions that would actually help you uh, fully enforce the law. Then uh, it took another three years from ninety four to ninety seven before the actual commission was set up. So you can see that there's there was, it was gradually sort of gaining momentum. And uh, it took another probably six to seven years before you could actually say that the uh, commission was well-funded and was able to actually enforce the, the law. So there are a couple of threads pulling here. On the one hand, there is the domestic thought that this would be better for our economy. And on the other hand, there's the external pull. There's the EU agreement for Guatemala. There's the World Bank. I know there were some free trade talks involving Singapore. Which would you say was the the bigger influence? And is it important to have the external pull or is it better to have it be domestically motivated? I think we've always had a very open economy, even before the passing of the law. In fact, uh, our trade to GDP ratio was three times. So it wasn't as if there wasn't a lot of foreign investment. I did think that the domestic pool was probably um, strong as well because there was a sense among uh, businesses that uh, they wanted to grow. And there was actually a recommendation by Economic Review Committee that we should have a competition law. I mean, this was over and above the Singapore-US FTA, which did require a, a generic competition law. So I would say the domestic considerations were probably a bit stronger. Okay. What would you say in Guatemala? Well, I think the, the external support is very important. It's essential. Without that support, I think there won't be any consensus, internally speaking, to approve the law. Because, uh, as you know, uh, in Guatemala, uh, there are certain economic sectors that are uh, not interested at all to adopt a competition law. So they what they do is to make up pressure domestically against the adoption of a law. So it's very important to have this uh, external support. And how does that balance work in uh, Zambia? In Zambia, what did transpire was that the external force was quite important. I think there was a kind of thinking within where people thought in a small economy you do not necessarily need a competition law. And it would not, you wouldn't really get the benefits of having that uh, such a law. So uh, for us, I think the external force was was quite important, and that is what sort of spurred it to fruition. Were there any particular forces that were opposed to adopting the law, particular sectors or industries, and how did you go about overcoming their opposition? Very difficult to overcome, um, uh, especially big investments. Uh, you know. Small countries that have investments from various countries tend to wield a lot of political power. So it becomes very, very difficult. So you see, we are kind of a mono economy, mostly into mining. So you don't, uh, you would see that there was a kind of um, resistance in the mining sector. Then, of course, the political pressure, you would also have what I would call, they are, the, they are the ones that are in business. So they don't want to have a law that is going to regulate them. So that, again, you would have that. So different sectors, but mostly they may, uh, mainly from the mining. And just to add on, you may find that in certain countries, because of the importance of certain sectors, they may even remove a sector from antitrust enforcement. 
So we have seen even in this country that many people will say competition is great except for our sector. Do they say that in Guatemala? Of course not. <laughs> competition is great, but we don't need that competition law because there are already a legal system protecting competition. We don't know what that system is, but yes. Okay. One question that I remember hearing in Singapore is people were saying, well, geographically, you're, we're a very small economy and open to trade from all comers, and people were expressing doubts as to whether there should be a competition law. Have those doubts uh, proved accurate, or has the, uh, the law proved itself in other ways? I think in any economy, you always have tradable and non-tradable sectors. Um, so what we find is that certainly for non-tradable sectors, they are quite open to anti-competitive conduct because there's no foreign competition to keep it in check, so to speak. So, for example, uh, you know, if you talk about international mergers, I think we source from many jurisdictions, so that's less of an issue. But for the domestic mergers, they can be problematic because these are non-tradable goods and services and there could be fewer suppliers. So I think uh, when we started looking at this, it's not true that just by having a small open economy, that solves all the problems. So the day came when uh, the laws passed, at least for, uh, for Zambia and Singapore, and we're still waiting for the day for, uh, for Guatemala. What were the biggest challenges in creating an agency? Uh, Chalufia first. Because of the the lack of political will, and and because uh, it appeared that um, this uh, the creation or the passing of the law and the creation of the agency was basically donor driven, you then tended to have a situation where you were not adequately funded. So that was like uh, the first thing. So it started very very small, uh, basically with one person, uh, whom you may know, and. Um, when um, that uh, started, the next thing was, of course, the, the other thing was the necessary skills to actually run the competition authority. Whereas the person who started it may have had the necessary skills, but the co-workers needed to be upgraded to, to, a, to a point where they could actually carry out investigations, carry out all these processes that we, we currently are doing. So those, I would say, would be the two major issues. What did you find in Singapore, Hanley? I think certainly capacity building because it's a completely new law. The local universities didn't teach the subject, but it helped that we adopted the UK 1998 Act, Competition Act, so that we could tap on all the resources uh, from the UK uh, so we had uh, well-known professors like Richard Wish, you know, who come and advise us. Uh, we could look at the UK case law. We visited uh, the UK courts, the appeals tribunal. So, but I think it just took time to build up the capacity to the stage where you know people really knew what they were doing and how to investigate cases. Zambia has become quite a respected competition agency on the African continent. How did you how did you reach that level? Well, many issues, uh, Richard Wish, following up with quite a number of jurisdictions uh, like the USA, the European community, and Australia, uh, we did have instances where uh, officers from the commission actually either were received fellowships with the FTC, Australian Commission, and so on. 
But at the same time, I suppose the, the investigations and the change of law also helped a lot because the first law was so shallow, if, you, if I can put it that way, for lack of a better word, such that it was very difficult for actually to uh, enforce the, the competition law. But with uh, recognizing the lacunas that existed in the first law, we were able to update it to the current law that we have now, which was passed in 2010. And uh, from there on, it became much, much easier. Then uh, the other aspect I'd, well, I wanted to just maybe point out was the establishment of the International Competition Network. I think that has really, really helped because a lot of materials that have been um, prepared and presented from the IC, uh, ICN uh, has helped to uh, bridge the gap. To take an example, a new person who's just starting competition in the 2000s would take maybe four or five years for them to actually get to grips with what they are talking about, what it is that uh, antitrust is all about. Fast forward to now, it takes much less time because of the material that is available. Have you found that to be true in Guatemala? And has there been much thought given to what shape the new competition agency would look like? There's so many examples out there that you probably have uh, a wide choice to, to look at and take take uh, information from the ICN and so forth. Yeah, of course, being the last country in Latin America without a competition law, it's I think uh, it has a, a good perspective for Guatemala because we can look up at which are the best models or the, the best practices in, in Latin America, which is very similar to us. So uh, when we work with uh, my partner to the uh, International the Inter-American Bank Development Bank in 2015, and we designed a proposal of the law, which is now being discussed in the Congress. We took three countries as models, Mexico, El Salvador, and Chile. These three countries, have a, they are very good standards of what to adopt in Guatemala in terms of the design of the, of the authority and in terms of the prohibitions and penalties of the conduct. Well, then we reach the point where you've passed the law, the agency is open, the sign is on the door, and it's time to think about what the first priorities should be. And how do you go about setting them? Uh, where, do you, where do you go first? For Zambia, because of the past of, and how we got established and seeing that there was a lot of um, resistance at the beginning, the first few years, what we did was to, to advocate more than enforce. We did a lot of advocacy, trying to uh, highlight the benefits of competition, what is wrong, what is right, what you can do, what you can't do. And uh, we spent a lot of time doing the, the advocacy work. After about uh, a number of years, and of course, we also could uh, realize that a lot of provisions within our law were kind of difficult to actually enforce. So we used the advocacy route. But once... Um, the new law was passed. It became easier for us to, to enforce the law and take people now to court and because you can actually have a reference to say, look, uh, we did advocate to you for close to 10 years and now it's time to start enforcing this particular law. What was the first path in Singapore? I mean, we obviously had to do some advocacy, but I think we were keen to get out the first enforcement case. Uh, we are in an administrative system like the EU, so we tend to adopt the fines ourselves and take the decision. 
So it was about, the law was passed in 2005 and 2006, there was the transitional period to come into effect. 2008 was the first case. Uh, it was a bid rigging case. And uh, I thought it was very important to make sure you don't lose the first case on appeal. And in a way, it was handed to us on a plate because there was some smoking gun emails and all that kind of stuff. But I think for a lot of new agencies, it's important what's the first case. And I think you generally want to take a case which is quite straightforward to build confidence, build over time, right? Do you agree with that, uh, Chifilia? Yes, yes, yes. I would agree with that. And um, we had one cartel case, actually, as, as far back as 2002. It was in the oil marketing industry. And um, similarly, like Singapore, it was smoking gun. And people would generally come up and say, yes, yes, we did agree on uh, <laughs> on the prices. And you would see that these are people who are used to the command economy and you would not necessarily, in fact, you'd actually have a tough time convincing the political uh, side that this is what it should be. So with that, it was really more of a warning, uh, if I recall. That is what the decision was. But later on, uh, after we had done so much sensitization and people had become aware. And to a, to a certain degree, the political landscape had changed because we now uh, had much more support from the political side. It became much easier for, for us to enforce thereafter. I'm remembering a story from when I was advising a newer competition agency and uh, said, well, cartel investigations are very hard to prove. And they went into this one uh, area where there was thought to be a cartel and asked if it was true. This is not how we, I don't think that's how our Department of Justice colleagues uh, handle that, but that's what they did. And the person pulled out an agreement and it had stamps and ribbons on it and said, it's all signed and legal. What's wrong? Of course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Did it take a while to help bring the uh, business community around to understanding what competition was all about? Yes. And in fact, I think in the earlier cases, we took into account the fact that um, law was new and we calibrated our fines at the lower end of the scale. Uh, so our formula is a percentage of turnover, and we were using the lower end. Uh, I think over time, as we took more cases, we started to ratchet up the percentage use. So we did take into account the fact that the, the business community need to internalize. And actually today, you, you in the old days, you find like really very silly cartels where the trade association would advertise in the newspaper and say, oh, we've all agreed to raise a surcharge for fuel and you don't see that anymore they tend to be the more secretive types so so and that obviously needs to be punished with uh, higher higher fines what do you think the challenge will look like in guatemala well yeah first of all i think the major challenge is to obtain this political willing and consensus to uh, approve the law in terms of the government and the congress but that Political consensus is very hard because there is a economic center very strong in Guatemala that is influencing all the time the government and the Congress. The second uh, challenge will be the lack of uh, party system in Guatemala. We don't have parties representing ideological positions, but parties representing economic interests. So we don't have a, a major party uh, which will be pursuing the approval of the law. 
but uh, different parties that are representing economic sectors like uh, sugar, uh, like telecommunications, uh, etc. So I think uh, political willing, it's the, the first challenge, and the second challenge will be the lack of a party system in Guatemala. So one of the biggest challenges for any new agency is hiring the right people to staff the agency. So what, what has your experience been in finding the right people and retaining them once they've been trained? And what has been your, what techniques have you used to train them in enforcement of the new law and understanding it? So there is a diploma in competition law and economics run by King's College London, which we make all our new hires go through. So that levels them up to the basic understanding uh, of competition law and economics. Then, of course, at a later stage, we actually do sponsor them for masters in economics or in law. I've got a lawyer now in Berkeley. She's finishing up her LLM. Uh, so we try to send them for that at the later stage of training. Uh, we've done secondments as well to the more established agencies. Uh, so we also try to pay quite competitively. We actually track market pay. You can never match the market, but we're not that far off from the market. And how about in, in Zambia? What's been your experience? When uh, the institution was first established, it was quite difficult to actually retain uh, staff. And um, that was because of, uh, as I said, the, the lack of funding. So it was very difficult to, to pay competitive rates. And at the same time, it was also difficult to train people because of um, the same uh, uh, lack of funds. But eventually, as um, we over time, as as the budgets improved and we received uh, better political will, uh, what we saw is that uh, we've been able to retain the members of staff because of uh, better pay. And at the same time, we have been training them. The King's College uh, postgraduate diploma is 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 quite famous. We've been using the ICN uh, working groups. Um, we make it a point that each staff member is uh, either somehow following what each working group is doing, and that way there's there's and participating not just not just following, but they need to participate actively, whether it's a teleconference, whether it is um, the the workshops that are being held, and that sort of keeps them up to date with what is happening worldwide. There is still, uh, because we can't pay as well as everyone else, especially the market rates, there is still that chance of losing the good ones uh, once in a while, yes. You also attend the ABA conferences? We do that too. (laughs) On their their, uh, seminars? Yes. So I wonder if uh, with Zambia and uh, Singapore, you've been at it for a while. What would you say has been your biggest... uh, success stories, especially in cases, but it could be advocacy. I think the biggest success stories have been, one, I think the acceptance of the law that it is now here to stay. It is no longer seen as something that is being resisted. More recently, I think in 2015, if I'm not mistaken, our current president actually made reference to it. So it has reached that level where even the presidency uh, of the nation actually acknowledges that there is such an institution and there is such a law which is there to uh, ensure that markets work, uh, work, work well. 
the second thing is, of course, in the number of cases that we've handled, we've done quite a number of um, cartel cases. The legal side was somewhat not up to date. When I say the legal side, I mean the judiciary was not up to date. And we've had to, uh, with the help of the FTC, I must say, um, we've had to train the judges all the way up to the Supreme Court uh, so that they start understanding what this uh, law is all about. We've had uh, successes in, in that sense, and we've had now um, uh, cartel cases that we have prosecuted and successfully so. We've had um, an abuse of dominance, uh, in fact, three abuse of dominance cases that we've investigated, and uh, they are still in court, but the decision was in our, uh, in our favor. So, yes, so we, we have done quite a lot, and I think from now on onwards, I think it's much easier for us to enforce because there is this political we are now people are seeing the benefit of what this institution is all about. Hanley, what have been the big success stories in Singapore? Well, I think like Chulufa said, we always are happy when we have successful enforcement cases, um, as well as them being upheld on appeal. So that's very important. And you know, one for each prohibition, right? Your first bid rigging, your first price fixing. Then when we did the first international cartel case, and then the first abuse of dominance, and then the first block merger. But I think uh, the other area which we are trying to focus on is market studies. Uh, so we've done quite a lot of market studies. Uh, sometimes the client is the government, and I think uh, we try to use market studies as a tool where enforcement evidence may not be there, but it's still a way to help make markets work better. And I think the, the third point is advocacy. Uh, we actually do advisories to government on policies that may affect markets. Uh, and although these are non-binding, I think we become quite happy when government agrees to adopt our recommendations on certain policies. So, Marcus, when we come back in a few years and ask you this question about uh, Guatemala, what are you hoping that the, uh, the big success story will be? Absolutely, advocacy. I think uh, advocacy should be the first success story for a competition authority in Guatemala, taking into consideration the, the uh, reluctance of the business community on uh, protection of, of competition. I think advocacy should be. So uh, looking back at your experience uh, with your agencies and with trying to pass your law, can you give us any thoughts on what you might have done differently if you had to do it all over again, uh, both in starting up your agency and in trying to get your law passed in the case of Guatemala? Well, I guess for our experience, I think the the problem is what we faced was external, not necessarily within the, the commission. So, well, I would want to have a better political will, I suppose, and um, better uh, budget, which would have sort of pushed us or given us that extra spring to, to start enforcement earlier. Uh, other than that, the decisions that were taken, especially to advocate first, to try and win over the, the people who were against antitrust, uh, I think that was the best decision to take. And I think given a similar scenario, we would, would do the same. In the case of Singapore, what, what lessons uh, would you do? Well, I mean, I think we did try not to rush and straight away go for very big, high-profile cases. We tried to build it up step by step. Last year, we took on consumer protection. 
it's a completely different animal, but I'm beginning to see how it really complements the competition role. In the most recent market studies, a lot of the findings actually are consumer protection focused. So that's beginning to pay off now, I think, for us. Well, if you, uh, your agency took on consumer protection after a few years, how has that worked out? Our agency basically took up consumer protection right from the beginning. Although the provisions were very, as I said, the law wasn't wasn't adequately covering all the areas. So um, in 2010, we had now a whole section which was much more elaborate. And uh, consumer protection has, has done very well. And um, it was one of the tools we used to get competition better understood uh, because it was easier to sell to the politicians uh, or the, to the politicians, yes, the, the effects on consumer protection. And then we would say, well, you know, this is happening because of, and um, it made it much easier to pass the, the law, the, the, the current law, uh, on the basis of consumer protection, because consumer protection is seen as something that would win you votes. So it was much easier that way. You know, and even in the U.S. at the FTC, where we have uh, consumer protection as well as competition, when I talk to my relatives, the first thing they say is, why are telemarketers still calling me at lunch Sorry. hour? Yes. They aren't asking about mergers. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. Thank you all for a very interesting conversation. Uh, this has been a real eye-opener for us, and uh, uh, I think there's a lot to be learned from each other in this world, and uh, we wish you the best of luck going forward. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yep. It looks like we have reached the end of our program, and I want to thank our guests for joining us today. This concludes another podcast with the ABA section of Antitrust. If you like what you heard, please join us in person at some of our upcoming conferences. Details are available at ambar.org slash antitrust. I'm Sarah Bartles. Until next time, thank you for listening. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.